Welcome to Leadership 2020. I'm Claire Carpenter. So I'm joined today by um, Melanie Sabi. Melanie is a successful entrepreneur. She's the founder and chair of the Black British Business Awards um, and also a professor of leadership and management. Wow. I had to start with you. Um, <laughs> you know, hearing your bio read back to you just never gets old. I know. <laughs> You're just like, who's that person they're talking about? Yeah. Oh, yes. It's, As you get older, it starts to, you start to rack up things. It's almost embarrassing, really, but yeah. So there's so many questions that I have for you today. Um, however, I'd like to start wherever you are most interested in starting. When you think about the world of management and leadership for particularly that sort of middle manager group, so unsupported in so much of British business, I think, where, where do you think our priorities lie in terms of supporting that area? I think that there is a, an important realization that we all have to come to, and it, it goes right back to one of the core teachings that I teach in my class, that we are not born leaders. You know, there, there are a lot of people, of course, that have charisma or maybe have the physical attributes of stature that lend to leadership, and that's absolutely fine, and that's, that's fantastic, actually. But there are several moments in anyone's career, any leader's career, where you know that leaders are are made and that they have to be fostered and, and cared for. So that moment where you tap them on the shoulder or they tap themselves on the shoulder, that external acknowledgement that there is leadership potential within them, that's key. And that could be distributed by anyone to anyone. And then there's also the actual teaching and training of leadership. So, you know, how do you teach people to move people of their own accord rather than having to force people across the line. And that can be fostered. That has to be fostered. So I think that, unfortunately, we've, we're under the impression that just leaders are, are, are born. And quite frankly, we've underserved our people because we're not understanding that they are made and that they have to be fostered. They have to be taught. First-time leaders, we tap them on the shoulder and... We grow them and we make them and then their, their environments create them. And there are some underrepresented communities that don't have that tap, that they don't have that fostering, they don't have the role modeling. And so that means that you see less of them. So if we come right back to the core and, and it's just the fundamentals, then we have, we know, we will know that there is just untapped, unrealized potential everywhere for leadership. And I think I think it's important not to generalise where the gaps are and to think about actually how we offer um, that level of support and encouragement across the board. Where do you see this working well at the moment, do you think? There are some amazing programmes that I've seen in organisations where there's a clear point right around that middle manager level. I would say if we're looking at typical age, that would be 24, 25, but it can go all the way up. And, you know, just that... You're, you start to be more responsible for either people or strategies or departments or units. Right there, that's where we catch them and say, hey, we're going to put you on a first-time leader course. And those first-time leader courses are so valuable. So thinking about that first time that I have responsibility for a team of people, mm-hmm. whether I've been promoted up as a, from a group of previous peers, how do I know what to do? How do, how do I think about what to do with those people? Well, I think number one, when you are a first-time leader, 
acknowledge that you are a first-time leader, both within yourself as well as your team. Mm. You need to give yourself room to make mistakes and to grow and for your team to grow with you. You also need to give yourself room to receive feedback from your team. So the best managers, they always say this, the best managers, they have this growth mindset potential where they are able to receive feedback and take it and move with it and grow with it. So I think that first off, just let everyone know that you have not been this way before. It just gives us room, doesn't it? It gives us room to make mistakes as long as we know that we're going to improve on them. And second of all, I would say get yourself on a leadership course or have some leadership learning. So maybe your organization can't afford it. And so that means that it's about them giving you an audible budget and getting the best leadership books out there. But important that you focus on leadership and not management. And what I mean by that, it, it is very clearly moving people of their own volition. It is not you kind of lording your authority and power over them now. It's about understanding what their hopes, drivers, and motives are so that you're getting them to move of their own accord. And that it's very, very different. Um, so it's, it's listening to people in a whole new, fresh way. It's understanding where they want to go, where they want to be, and so that we can move together with your team. Influencing and negotiating all of those kind of characteristics, representing for your team, you know, up to leadership, up to other parts of your institution as well. All of those things are covered in some of the best leadership management books. But first off, please do give yourself grace and ask your team to give you grace as well. And that's where you see the most healthy relationships between boss and employee. Yeah. And there's something quite vulnerable, isn't there, in putting yourself in that position where you ask for feedback like that? Definitely. It's, it's definitely an expression of vulnerability, but after a while you'll find that you can get quite callous about it. So it's just almost like your bottom of your foot. You've got to keep on treading on it, and then you, you, get, you, get to, you get to a point where it's okay. So I know that you know when I'm on TV, at the fat first time when I received that bad comment, I was like, it hurts inside me. <laughs> but then... Now it's part and parcel of the game and I decide what to take from it and then what to put back, which is just what you're going to have to do in regards to feedback. You do have to get used, grow your feedback muscle, get used to getting feedback, taking feedback and then and taking what you can from it. Yeah, I love that. Grow your feedback muscle. Yeah. I'm going to leverage that with pride. Yeah, grow your feedback muscle. And because and you, you do get stronger. Uh, so you're right, you are expressing vulnerability, but quite frankly, business is moving in a new place right now mm. where it's not about just big strength games anymore. It's not, you know, kind of land grabbing anymore and and these, these shells of perfection. Quite frankly, the most functional teams are and the, the, the grossing teams, the highest grossing teams right now in terms of creativity and innovation have to show a level of vulnerability. Yeah. And you can use that within the team as well, can't you? The team can give itself feedback like that. Exactly. And then that's where you can get your 360 feedback. And then feedback is just part and parcel of the game, particularly if you're client services, then you're looking for feedback. It's, and then you're, 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 when you get it, then you're able to incorporate what you can of it. And then you, it's, a, it's part of your performance improvement. It's part of this continuous improvement journey mm-hmm. that most good professional services or client services firms have that you're like, oh, okay, let me grab what I didn't do that well from this this time and then let's keep it moving. Yeah. 
And I'm interested in how you ask for feedback as a as an emerging leader as well, not just from your team, but also from your line manager, because sometimes that isn't forthcoming, is it? No, it's not forthcoming. And you will not get feedback and you will not get good feedback sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes people are really rubbish at giving feedback. Yeah. And so that's why I do keep on saying that grain of salt thing. Sometimes people are very polite and they give you something that's absolutely useless <laughs> or they give it to you and it's not couched in love and with an intent to see you grow and prosper. So then you have to also take that with a grain of salt. There are all kinds of things that may f- that you have to kind of put through your feedback filter. And so if you don't receive feedback from your line manager that's entirely kind of functional or kind of usable, then I would say see if you can have peer feedback as mm. well and colleague feedback. Uh, some of the best feedback I've had were from the, the gentleman that I worked with in client services and... You know, and they were really honest and true. And sometimes it, did, it didn't happen on the forum. Sometimes it just happened having that conversation over a glass of wine yeah. or a glass of juice. So I'm thinking about feedback, just sort of following this, this thread, if, if that's okay with you, around how we receive positive feedback as well. Because sometimes we're, we find that harder than the difficult feedback, don't we? Most definitely. We can barely say thank you. Yeah. Sometimes I found just, you know, as you can tell, my accent's Canadian. I was born here, but I've lived here for the last 15 years. There are some people who actually get abusive. So I could say, wow, your hair looks great today. Oh, you're so rubbish. (laughs) So why are you insulting me? Because I've given you a compliment. (laughs) It's actually, it's actually, (laughs) it's actually quite crazy the way people cannot receive feedback Mm. um, or even a compliment and so there are those quiet moments that I would encourage anyone to take when you receive good feedback or bad feedback Mm. and 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 process it and then choose if you're going to accept it or not yeah I have this is going to sound terrible but I have a testimonials page I've kept it online and every positive piece of feedback that I've received online somewhere, I literally, I have a screenshot of, oh, wow, you've given a good speech. Oh, wow, that was a great class. Or, oh, wow, just had a great meeting with Mel. She's amazing. And I, and I've collected it over the years. I ask someone to do it. You can, you know, just go on Fiverr or go onto a service provider and they can do it really quickly for you. Just curate all the feedback that you receive, all of the performance reviews, all of the good things. And I have it in a file and it just reminds me those days when I feel crap, I feel like I'm not that good or I'm just not good enough, and I look at those, and it's, it reminds me, I was like, okay, I know it's a bad day, you're feeling bad right now, but that's not the reality, this is what you're feeling. Yeah. Good feedback does have a, a place, it's a balancing act, it's a pendulum that we swing back and forth, and we have to just find that little middle ground. Just giving that a moment to percolate, <laughs> um, pretty not that good on audio. Still, where else do you think some really important learning happens at the beginning of someone's career as a manager. So feedback we've talked about, Mm -hmm. being vulnerable. Where else do you think that comes from? I think that it's one of the first times that you have to think of others and how to motivate and drive others. And you have to listen to them in a new and fresh way. So it's not merely about, particularly... If you're working for the charity sector, that's where you really see it. That's why I recommend everyone kind of volunteers for a charity. When you have to manage people in a charity, this is where you see the problem is quite acute. You can't manage them the same way. 
these people are here because they love their job or they love the cause and they want to do good things and they're doing it for free. You can't motivate them with a pay grade. You can't motivate them with an increase or a pay rise. You, they're literally motivating themselves and you are just there to try to coordinate things. And when you start, when you do that, when you go through that experience and you bring that back to the workforce where people are being paid for their endeavors, it just expands your relationship with them because instead of just saying they are going to be paid and they have to do this because this is their job responsibility, this is the expectation that we have of you, then all of a sudden you start to look at them as a, a whole person. Why are they here? Because it may be because they only want you know the money right now because they want to buy their house or because they want to. But it's really up to you as a, a great leader to understand people's hearts and like heart drivers and their their motives being there because if you can tap into that that's where leadership becomes effortless because you know what they're already moving and all you got to do is go bing bing in the right way or bing bing in the right way just kind of tap them to go into the right way and then you're making a symphony of people all going the right way rather than it being let me force and drive you so what that means for first-time leaders that you have to learn to listen in a new and fresh way it's not performance management metrics or merely performance management metrics. Mm. It is about why are they here? Where do they want to go? Do they want to go into leadership? Are they doing this as a side? Do they want the experience and then they're going to leave? Do they want to, why are they here? And that unfortunately is, or fortunately, it's about you listening in a fresh way, mm. listening in a way that you haven't had to at work before because you are always, the person always has to listen to you. I think with first-time leaders, it's a yeah, it's a it's a lens shift so that you can't be as selfish, really. You really have to listen to people in a new and fresh way, and motivate them in new and fresh ways as well, rather than with browbeating them. Yeah, it's a carrot rather than stick. And people know when they're being listened to, don't they? People do know when they're being listened to. People feel it, so you have to give that moment, that time. It doesn't have to happen all the time. It doesn't happen to happen every single second. It's not that, you know, you don't become necessarily their coach or their, their therapist, but you do have to understand their primary drivers for being there. So sometimes that can happen to a person for the first time, can't it? And they really feel like they're being listened to. Exactly. Exactly. And you don't have to do it in these obvious ways either. Um, I remember one of the young women on my team, we were thinking, you know, she'd worked really hard for the year. And so we were thinking, okay, how do we give her a bonus and so um you know we're a small business mm -hmm. and we could have just given her a monetary bonus but actually every meeting that we had the little pinwheel of death would appear on her laptop everyone knows what that pinwheel is <laughs> and i was like you know what she needs a laptop yeah. which is infinitely more tax effective for us as a business <laughs> and so you know and then she got a laptop and she you know and then she was heard that's it she was noticed and she was heard you know, and that's how you create loyalty yes. um, with people that they, you know, they just feel heard that they're, they're not merely machines or robots that are coming to do a part of the job and then going back home. Yeah. I think you're talking here about valuing people. Exactly. Exactly. In the little things. It doesn't yeah. have to be this huge momentous effort. It's just the little things, yeah. the little things that are important to them. She loved her laptop. And so for her to get a brand spanking new one, same version, then I, I know that she is, she was, she almost cried because she's like, oh, I'd love to get it, you know, and it's, and every woman that I know who's in leadership, 
when I say leadership, I mean like either, you know, chairman, CEO, or just, you know, just big, kind of big, big, big profiles. It was that one person who said, like, they, they listened to them. Like, there's a leader that's above them that listened to them, that listened to them when they needed something, when they needed, you know, help with childcare, or they needed a change in role somehow, or they needed a change in their portfolio. There is that, the leader that we cherish is the leader that heard us yeah. and, and f- helped facilitate that the way they could. And it, it maintains our loyalty. And there's, um, there's a great TED talk that talks about lollipop moments. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's about that moment of impact where you notice someone or you hear them mm-hmm. and they never forget it. Yeah. And they carry that forward. Forever. And they pay it out. Exactly. We, ha- we have that, don't we? We have mm-hmm. that responsibility as mm-hmm. leaders to do that. Mm-hmm. I went on a silent retreat once and it was fantastic because I realized how much I listen to people with my body. Or, and I think everyone should. That would be fantastic. I would want all my all my leaders should just go on a first time, first time leaders silent retreat. And we had to do chores together, so we were in ashram, and we, you know, we were cleaning together, we were cooking together, and it was all nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. And so everyone laughed when they said, "Melk, really? Like you're a mistalker?" But actually, now I talk with my whole body, mm-hmm. and so now it's absolutely. And I. It, on one hand, of course, yes, it's made my communications better with the people that I'm communicating with. But it's made my sales like absolute. Like I, when I sell, I sell. Like if you're, if I'm selling to you and you're in the room, you're not walking out with any. Like you're walking out with something. Like you cannot be in the room without me, <laughs> without me selling you something. And you won't even know because I'm just listening to you. Yeah. Just normal. Because people need to be cherished. Sorry to make it all basic, but people just want to be loved. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really basic. I just want a little bit of attention. Just acknowledgement as a human being. Yeah. It's easy. So I was reading an article at the weekend about us as leaders stopping calling our people our resources. Oh, people are not resources. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't put much thought to that one. That's tough. I don't know what else you would call them in a large organization. Mm. You could say people. Yeah. You know, you could say that. But I've seen some organizations that, you know, do have human resource departments and yeah. call people resources, but they treat their people like people. Like they treat, you know, like individuals and those people feel loved. And so it's actually irrelevant what they call them. It's actually the practice. Yeah. So that makes me laugh. Like it's when we have these diversity and inclusion talks or we have these kind of these kinds of chats about leadership and management. And I was like, but at the end of the day, just do the, the core primary bit. You know, we could talk about it and we can call it all kinds of things and put all kinds of labels on the pickle jar, but it's still going to be a pickle. Like, fix the pickle. You know, like, that's what you're going to do. Like, it's not, it's not about what we call it. It's about people are feeling disengaged and disenchanted. Yeah. We're not training people up anymore. We're expecting people to, we're expecting adults to walk into things and give them no training whatsoever um, on anything, whether it be leadership or anything else. It's killing our creation, our creativity and innovation because people are afraid to try things for the first time and not succeed. And so, quite frankly, fix that. You can call it resources, people, pickles. You can call it whatever you want. Fix it. <laughs> Love people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's. So, yeah, I, I try not to get too caught up with the conversations around the nomenclature because that prevents us from actually fixing the problem. Because if, if we think that the nomenclature of people in organizations is the problem, then probably we're still far away from finding out what the problem is. Yeah. 
I agree with you. I think there's, um, then let's have a think tank about what we should call it instead. Exactly. And your people are still feeling disenfranchised and disengaged. And so what are you going to do? Yeah. You can call them anything you want. They still feel like you're crap manager. You're still crap manager. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't call them crap manager. It's not it. No one's a crap manager. Well. I miss positivity. Okay. I think I'll definitely work for some crap managers. <laughs> but, you know, and some really awesome ones as well. Yes. So... In my first job as a line manager, my first few weeks, what can I do to really go in there with an impact? So if you're walking in and you're a first time manager, I would say to give yourself breathing room to grow and to make mistakes and to learn. You'd want to talk to your manager, your own manager, and say, hey, this is my first time doing this. And so are there resources that you can recommend? Are there things that I, books that I can read? Are there courses that I can go on that will teach me not only about the business, but actually how to manage people mm. and how to manage people to their best? Yeah. Most likely you'll be left with a big fat no, because quite frankly, your manager, well, you'll know about your manager, but has your manager taken that kind of course? Most managers have not. So there are many resources that you can, um, can you can get outside of work. There are groups as well that foster leaders that think about, you know, in terms of just um, kind of leadership kind of bubbles or teaching, you don't have to go and do it in the MBA. They're actually focused on leadership and management. Mm -hmm. I would also say to speak to your team, the people that you are managing, and let them know that you're a first-time leader as well. That's really key so that they can give you a little bit of leeway and maybe even a little bit of feedback. I think that as you are asking people for feedback, um, when you ask uh, your team for feedback, make sure that you decouple it from their feedback cycle. So don't do performance reviews right around they do right around the time that you're asking them for feedback on how you manage them because sometimes that gets cloudy and so I've seen organizations get it wrong. You might want to just kind of maybe it's every 3 months and if your firm doesn't offer it then you can create your own 360 feedback tool where you're sending out a survey and it's anonymized and then they can give you feedback. If you only have two or three people, that may not be that anonymous, but you want to be able to give yourself room to get feedback from people. Additionally, unfortunately, this is only going to take time. You're going to have to get used to the fact that people aren't going to like you. People aren't going to like what you have to say. And that means that you're going to have to grow that muscle, that feedback muscle that I was speaking about earlier. Additionally, one last thing. What you're going to find, unfortunately, all managers find themselves in this situation. There's going to be a point where you don't agree with what your company is telling you to do and what your company is asking you to communicate to your people. And I just want to let you know that everyone goes through it. We all, there are points, all managers have to go through a point where they're just like, what, what do I have to do? I have to get rid of this person. What we have to do this contract in like two hours instead of, you know, 25, or there's going to be a whole lot of things that you're going to have to be a transmitter. You're going to have to get used to being a conductor of information that you don't necessarily agree with. And I don't really have advice in terms of how to do that precisely, but what I do want to give you kind of courage and heart at this moment to say that we, you know what, as a manager, that's just the way it is. President of the United States has to do it, Prime Minister has to do it here, and you gotta do it as a leader. And that's just the way it is when we're part of big organizations and it's not our organization. So 
suck it up yeah. <laughs> with love. <laughs> but, but that is, that's a, the crux of a leadership moment where you're going to have to turn the organization's messages into your own sometimes when you don't agree with the organization's messages. So look out for that point. And remember, I give you this sound advice just to know that everyone else has to go through it with you. Yeah. Such good advice. Thank you. That is, I think, really useful advice, all of that. So um, massively appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a rating and review to help others find out about the show. This is a Podo podcast produced by Nick Hilton in association with Corndell. Thank you.